welcome along to this episode of the Patriot Game. Uh, we're absolutely delighted to uh, have a guest today all the way from America, um, Jonathan Burns. Absolutely pleasure to have you on. Um, a coach in his own right, what with Selick, and also the son of the immortal Tommy Burns. Jonathan, thanks very much for your time, mate. Welcome along. Oh, thanks very much, lads, for having me. Really looking forward to it. Good man. The, um, we'll just get started just before we went on. <clears throat> I was talking there now about your dad. Um, We'll touch on yourself, your career, what you're doing with yourself, um, but we'll just sort of go back to the start. What was it like for you growing up um, as a young laddie with your dad being a sort of iconic figure within Celtic Football Club? I just, I mean, just a great upbringing, Martin, you know, like so many good memories. Um, probably the first memories I would have would actually be Kilmarnock um, in, in his time with Kilmarnock and then kind of coming back to Celtic again um, for his kind of role as manager and some great times there, you know, because I think that was that was probably a little change for Celtic, you know. I think they'd went through a period of, of really tough times, you know, being trophyless. And then when he came in, I think he brought in some brilliant players and he was just so desperate to win something for, for Celtic. You know, I wish it was a league, but uh, the Scottish couple do, I suppose. Oh, so down. They were with Tom Burns or uh, Tom Burns, sorry, uh, Tom Boyd, um, and he he was talking about that. He was talking about when he came up with Chelsea and the philosophy that your dad had brought to the club, and obviously the the caliber of player he brought in totally and utterly changed it with three amigos and the different style of football and all that. But um, aye, it was a travesty that season. The fact that they uh, just had such an incredible campaign and still couldn't pick the league for, but. Um, but just the, the the main thing I think was the different sort of style of football he brought. He brought a brand of football that hadn't been seen for a, quite a lot of years. Changed the system, changed the way that we played with the tempo, and um, uh, it was absolutely phenomenal. But one thing I was just saying to the lads here now that I think is different about your dad is he's almost generational for a lot of people. You might get some guys that maybe played in the seventies or eighties, but a sort of younger generation I'll have heard of them, but maybe didn't know them. Um, but then your dad also worked in a coaching capacity and as a manager, um, and then obviously we're always involved with certainly post that. So um, I think for anyone listening, they would know of your dad in some capacity, and most would probably know him as a gentleman if they were ever lucky enough to meet him. Um, and he was also obviously coined with the whole family faith in football. Did um, did you find him to be as much of a gentleman yourself? Was he was he just a great guy to be around? I I mean obviously with Celtic supporters he was he was Tommy Burns of, of Celtic you know and mm-hmm. he, he done so much for the club and I think I think fans kind of gravitated towards him because he was like a local boy you know he supported mm-hmm. the club and I think he's everything that Celtic fans love isn't it? it's kind of like Kieran Tierney like people see you know a player who's just going on giving their maximum and Celtic fans just I think love that honesty and I think he was very much uh, that guy in the Celtic fans' eyes. For me, he was he was just my dad. You know, he was mm-hmm. he was just um, like everybody else, a pain in the arse when when you know they're <laughs> around the house and wanting cups of tea and, and all that kind of stuff. But a, a brilliant character and like I always say it as well. Like even as like dad, it was just like living with one of your pals. You know what I mean? Like just head full of nonsense and constantly at the wind up and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so a brilliant, brilliant man, um, and just as I say, in, in terms of like the football side, we never really, we never really seen that side. I think he always done a really good job of kind of leaving that at the door. 
you know, it wasn't mm. one of those ones where if they lost a game, he wouldn't talk for two days or whatever the case may be, even though I'm sure um, it, it was probably hurting him that they'd maybe not had that success. But uh, he'd done an excellent job at kind of shielding um, probably the family away from that, you know. That moves on perfectly to what I was just going to ask you to have him with. The, just before the cup final, was there any sort of, was he running about the house nervous? Was he was he shitting himself or what was it? Did he give us any sort of idea like how he was feeling before that big game? No, Lee, honestly, like it, it wasn't even one of those, like, I think when you're around football for the length of time that he was involved at the top level of the game, you, you don't, I, I don't think you get nervous. Anymore, you know, and, and he always used to say that with Celtic players, Celtic players will be judged in games against Rangers and the Champions League games, because that's the highest level, you know. So, so cup finals, it wasn't even a, wasn't even a thing. Like he was always looking for like, right, what's the hardest environment to play in, you know? And for him, there was no nerves, you know. I, I think he was always one of those ones that was probably just buzzing for it. You know, I remember him before, like even youth cup finals. Maybe he was he was kind of going and um, taking a seventeens game of Hamden or whatever the case may be, and it was just like absolutely buzzing for it more than anything else. It wasn't at all um, to do with nerves or oh god, I'm worried about this. You know, so I think he just was around it for so long that he lost that kind of point where you could be nervous about it. You obviously did talk about your dad being able to keep stuff at home and not take, or keep stuff with the football and not take the emotions home. What was it like for yourself growing up, maybe going to school and being like, oh, like your dad's the Celtic manager? Like, was it weird people mentioning that? No, I went to a Catholic school, Pierce, so I never really had too many problems. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, um, listen, we. We were very lucky. We never really were subjected to too much of that. You know, I, I think that people at school knew who my dad was, but I, I was never, I was never treated differently. Nor should I be for that. Um, you always get one or two maniacs. You know what I mean? But for the most part, we were very lucky, and we always had a good group of friends around us and stuff like that. So there was never any problems at school. Um, you know, I think that. I think that probably um, maybe the only time it got difficult was when he was manager of Reading. Um, and it was because they just, they were so shite. <laughs> I think that, that really killed us because we were we were going to school in Reading and they were relegated and all oh, fuck. So that, that was probably the only time. But in Glasgow, honestly, no, never. Never had a problem. I'll just touch on it very quickly because I'm nowhere obviously lament on this, but um, when your father passed, um, I remember it very clearly. And I was saying to you, I know I used to go to all the sort of fun suppers and all that. And um, when he passed away, I, I travelled through and um, we, we'd sort of pitched up at Selly Park. I met my gran and all that stuff. She was through with a flask of tea and a wee sort of tea in the park chair and all that stuff. And um, the thing that sort of struck me was um, just the numbers and the amount of people that were there with just a complete show of love. Um, I remember the team bus coming in and then um, yourselves and all that and I was just thinking 
I, I know I, I listened to comments feeding McGee they talking about because um, it was very close weird that what did that do for you as a family just sort of seeing that support did that give you quite a lot of strength and things like that such a difficult time knowing that there were so many people there for your for your father I, I listen definitely we we always say it we were so lucky as a family because we just have so many things that, that we can look back on. I mean, how many families get to go and type their dad's name into YouTube and watch a video and interviews and hear his voice and see him scoring goals? And we just have so much that other families don't have and, and we're so grateful for that. And when he did die, obviously, we were just absolutely devastated. We still are. But I always say, like, his funeral was like an out-of-body experience. I, I wish somebody would have actually been in the car that day filming it because there was I remember pulling onto the like the motorway to head in mm. to like the chapel and we're behind the hearse and I'm like what it's nine o'clock in the morning. Where is where is all the cars? And I just looked behind us and the police had completely shut the motorway. You know, they were parked across and must have been tailbacks for miles. I'm sure there was a couple of I'm sure there's a couple of people going mental on their motors that day, but um, for us, it was like, my God, you know, there was people like stopping on the other side of the motorway to get out and like clap and just, just honestly, one of those, it was the most amazing day. I know that sounds weird talking, you know, mm -hmm. saying that about your the dad's food, but it was the most amazing experience to kind of be in the car that day and see all that because just everywhere you went, just lines of people by the streets, mm. clapping, releasing balloons and everything. It was honestly such a, an amazing experience. At Celtic Park, they beamed it back. Like it was Back then, it, was, it wasn't as sort of modern as it is now. And where the car park was, that still used to be a school. So at the side, remember where the old ticket office was on the right-hand side? Yeah. They'd put a big massive like screen up and all that, so it'd been beamed back. There must, I don't know what there was, but there must have been thousands, like literally... Just thousands. Everywhere you looked, there was just a total sea all the way for the Gallagate, right down onto London Road. It was just total and it was covered, um, which is probably um, it tells you everything that you need to know. What like, your, your dad said it as well after the cup final. What do they mean to you? And he says that they mean everything. They're there and they're always there. And God bless every one of them. And they were definitely there that day. Um, so more credit to him. What a man. I mean, as I say, Pierce, I was just like when we came into Celtic Park. You know, that was that was probably one of those moments where you were like, oh, my God. You know, it was literally like people just as far as I could see sitting on roofs and looking over fences. And you're just like, you couldn't even hazard a guess as how many people that were there. But, I mean, it was, as I say, we, are, we were so lucky as a family because, I mean, we just had everything, every bit of support. You know, from from the club, from fans, from not just not just Celtic. Honestly, every every club, you know, every club, you know, just doing anything they could. Flowers coming to the house, whatever the case may be. Just a an amazing um, an amazing kind of week that one. You know, It'd be on the kind of inside of it because it's it's one of those ones that you know. Obviously, I'll never I'll never experience anything like that again. You know, but it was. Honestly, one of those things you still go back on and think, you know, I wish I wish somebody could have just, you know, filmed that day for us so you could actually take it all in as a whole, you know. 
it was a totally surreal time because obviously Phil O'Donnell died at the start of the year and then your dad died and then what was I, I know it's probably shows like football is kind of secondary but what was it like when we won we actually ended up winning the league that year and the team had the, the t-shirts with the title for Tommy yeah I was at the game Pierce I went to the game um, I actually oh, went yeah. through with um, Oh, I think I want to say my sister Jenna was with me and my, my uncle Michael and we went and we went through an amazing I mean listen obviously that night we, we went as fans you know like every other fan and, and you're, you're hoping that your team can win the league and but yeah very very emotional night you know just because you see the players emotional you know you see guys like Gary Pendry Gordon Strachan who were obviously Kind of emotional at the full time whistle as well, and it was again one of those ones the fans kind of sang Tommy Burns the whole night, and um, anyway, well, managed to win the league, it was magic as well, you know. So, um, that was it, was a great night, it was a great night. I was lucky yeah. enough to be there. Were you in the shed end? No, no, I wasn't there with the riffraff in the shed end. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually just uh, more or less right above the tunnel because Celtic more yeah. or less got the three quarters of the stadium that night. Yeah. So I was right above the, the tunnel. What yeah. a feeling when I go over him, big fan of Gaurav Hasselink. I shamed myself that whole game, but it, it, it's the measure and the impact that, that your that your father had right across even. He sadly passed away. God rest him on on my eighteenth birthday, and I'll never forget that. That that obviously it's a special occasion for myself. But I remember my dad just being completely down the dumps for about a week um, during that because obviously he was his favorite Celtic man. He was just he just loved them man. Um, but we were watching it, that just speaking of that game. We watched that in the fans club in West Belfast, and ninety minutes of that game, everyone was just singing Tommy Tommy Burns, and you're sitting in a in a bar in Belfast. Just, you know, it was surreal. It was a surreal experience, but what a night. When that goal went in, it was unbelievable. Some scenes that night, weren't there? Unreal. Uh, you, you, you must have been in uh, one of the good parts of Bill Fast Emily, yeah? The best part, mate. The best part. It's safe to say it's not the it's not the snobbiest part of Belfast, anyway. <laughs> uh, 150, uh, 150 a pint. <laughs> we, uh, I, I mean... Amazing. I, I think the whole circumstance around it as well. And I think Gordon Strachan kind of alluded to it that if ever there was anything that took the pressure off of a game of football, you know. And, and if you think about it, it's, it's so true because what would you normally be doing that week in the build up to a game of that magnitude? You know, it would just be totally um, be such a pressure filled environment, which I know at Celtic's pretty normal anyway, but. Just because Rangers had dropped so many points, um, and then obviously with my dad passing, I think that just kind of, I think that just kind of basically took the focus of the players away from the game, you know, which was probably the best thing for them to be honest. So uh, even even when he uh, even when he was gone, he was still uh, still doing Celtic a favour. <laughs> unbelievable. Just in talking about that that league victory, that was unbelievable. The moment. So for like was it eight or nine straight straight games? Well, I got that last gas goal against them. I remember the last couple of minutes of the game as well. So it was not, that that season was incredible. Like 
Was it no Aberdeen they played in the last game of the season? Pataudry? Yeah, they got beaten 2 0. That was Dimbury complained yeah. that the league wasn't extended for them because the league always yeah. finishes on a Thursday night. <laughs> uh, Unreal. It was, it was, I think, like something like 15 points ahead with eight games to go or something. It was yeah, something mad like that. And then I think they played Celtic like twice in 10 days or something, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Celtic won them both. And then before you know it, it was like. They started, I think they dropped points against maybe Hank Hibbs. Took points yeah, off them. They drew Motherwell, I remember, the second last game of the season. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. I remember that, yeah. So, your dad was obviously integral in terms of sort of youth development. And anyone that sort of played under him talks so passionately about him. But also, he was um, instrumental in the sort of creation of Lennox Town. A lot of people have advocated that he should be named um, after, with the building. You obviously worked as well with Selic. Uh, can you just tell us about what your role was? What, what what did you do in the time you were coaching at the club? Yeah, so I, I kind of started my coaching when I was about 16, I would say. Um, and there was a coach, he's just actually finished at Celtic, but amazing coach called uh, Martin Miller, who was kind of in charge of what was called the Junior Academy at the time. So that, that was all the teams from kind of U12 and below. And... Um, Martin kind of took me in and just such a brilliant grounding, you know, because Martin as a coach was brilliant, as a man, you know, there, there was nobody better. And, um, you know, Martin was one of those guys as well that made you very aware early on of what the standards were and, and what was expected of being a coach at Celtic. And, um and it was brilliant. You know, I had seven years at Celtic from that point, um, working with the the youth players at the club and got to see some amazing coaches. Some of them are still there. Um, but got to see some amazing coaches work day in, day out. So it gave me a really good grounding to kinda go and um go and try and develop somewhere else. See, see, see on that point as well. Just when you work with the youth academy, what is that sort of? I know you said there that it's drilled into the coaches. Like, what is it drilled into the players as well from a very young age? What it means to play for Celtic? Aye, I mean it's it's you know it's one of those ones, Lee, where um, Celtic's one of these clubs that it's got such a culture around it. You know, so I, I think even when you're traveling, if you're traveling with an under nine group, you know, to a European tournament, those kids are reminded, right? Well, when we move through this airport, you know, we're representing Celtic Football Club, and you know, we're, we're not going to be jumping about and in WH Smith and, and everything else, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's one of those ones where. The players are constantly reminded on and off the pitch that you're you're representing something that's bigger than yourself, you know. And um, I everything that Celtic do is is making the players very aware of of the magnitude of the club and and how much it means, you know. You know the way you talk about uh, obviously what's expected of the players, and then you hear clubs like. Ajax and stuff. Is there an ethos and a certain style from a young age that the players are coached into playing? Yeah, I, I mean, for Piers, I think at Celtic, Celtic like the players to play. You know, so so I don't think it's 
people talk about Ajax and Barcelona, and, and that's brilliant. But I think what happens as well is far too many teams try to copy those yeah. those kind of um, styles of play, and and that's where I think you can really get lost. I think the thing about Celtic is, is there is an identity. You know, Celtic are going to have the ball for a majority of the game. You know, they want creative players and, you know, we kind of spoke earlier before the podcast started. I think even going back to, you know, the time where my dad was manager, that was probably the first thing that got brought in. Guys like the Canio, Cadet, Andre Tom, uh, Pierre Van Hoydonk, Philadelphia, like guys that would come in and, and get you off your seat, and, and that's what Celtic's all about. You know, Celtic want to entertain people. We've maybe don't know done it this season right enough, but um, I think with regards to to kind of how people coach, it's that's probably the thing that's um, really important to Celtic because your your coaches are kind of the face of of the club. That's your first. That's your first one um, in terms of who comes into contact with the players. It's the coaches, it's the scouts, you know, and and then from that point, if they reach a first team, the manager will take ownership. But Celtic have such good people there. You know, they really do. Guys like Chris McCart, Greg Robertson, Darren Roddy, just guys that really, really love the club, but are so good at what they do as well, you know, and... um, yeah, just hoping the next kind of four or five years you'll start to see some some top talent come through. How do we get to a stage where how do we get to a stage where you start re- replicating players like uh, not that he's been particularly great this season, but I still love him as a player like a McGregor, a Tierney, a Forrest. That there seems to be sort of a vacuum at the moment, and the gulf between the sort of first team and the youth team seems absolutely miles apart. Where, where, how how do we sort of curb that? I don't know. I mean, Martin, it's, listen, it's, there's guys in at Celtic, there's guys at the Scottish FA, every club that have forgot more than I know, you know, so my opinion would be, my opinion would be just as you're saying there, that there's probably a gulf just now between the youth academy and the first team, but I think that's structurally over Scottish football. Yep. I don't think that's a Celtic problem. I think that's a Scottish football problem. And, and I think that they're trying to come up with ideas, you know, for instance, things like the, the Colts, all that kind of stuff, where I think that would be brilliant. I think that would be brilliant for developing players and, and getting them in. But that I, I mean, listen, there's talent at Celtic. There's talent at Hibs. There's talent at Rangers. There's... Across the board, there's brilliant players in Scotland. I think that we just we need to find a way to kind of keep developing them because there's maybe a wee maybe a wee stagnant period just now. You know, kind of when it gets to like U19, U20, and it's it's such a it's tough. You know, the jump between academy and first team, particularly at clubs like Celtic, is frightening. You know, so. I- there's talent, there's talent there. I think maybe structurally, hopefully, they can get this coach thing, you know, going and get it off the ground. And um, you know, fingers there was, crossed. There was talk of redeveloping Barrowfield and all that sort of stuff, and putting on a wee small stadium that could be used for the youth development as well as the the women. And that that facility that's been long overdue for donkey's years. Um, 
the but but for me that there needs to be a sort of closer transition for the young laddies. You need to phase them in, give them time. But if you're going for playing, say, when we used to play all the games and all that stuff at Airdrie, if you're going for playing in front of two three hundred people, and then they perceive that you're good enough, and then you're chucked in front of sixty thousand people, and every single person's willing to be well, but might be on you if you have a bad first touch. Psychologically, it must be massive for these young laddies to go and express themselves. Like we were talking just before about young laddies like Carter and things like that. The, it's not that these boys are maybe bad players. They've, they've clearly got the talent to step in. They've, they've maybe just not had the ground or the support to get them into that final stage. Um, but I, I think I think a Colt league is definitely needed. Um, or, or rather, sorry, Celtic, because Rangers was talked about going to say the third division. If they're playing against actual men, you know, you're going and playing against decent teams. It'll give them a far superior ground than trying to get an odd friendly on a Wednesday night against an English team or, or getting farmed out on loan as so many of them have done this year. Aye. But do you know something, Martin, that's an interesting one because I think it's Celtic as well. It's a double-edged sword because Celtic fans want to turn around and, and, and talk about the youth academy and, and why aren't the players coming through. But then they also want five, six, seven million pounds spent on a player. Yeah. And if, if that seven million pounds gets spent on a player, that boy is going to play. 100% he's going to play because Celtic are going to hope at some point to sell him on. So it becomes it becomes so much harder. And again, this isn't a Celtic thing. This is a... I'm sure Rangers have a similar thing. You know, Aberdeen, you know, big, big clubs. The fans want signings. That's what... It, you know, let's just say for talking's sake, we go into this summer and we don't buy a player. But we say... Mm-hmm. These five youth players are going to come up and we think they're good enough. You, I mean, <laughs> God almighty, the place would be burnt to the ground. Burnt down. Like, so, it's a really difficult one, you know, and you, we spoke about the Cam Harpers and things like that. The most important thing at Celtic, I think, is if you do get a chance, you've really got to hit the ground running because yeah, I don't really think you get three or four chances at Celtic. I think you've got a game or two one or and two then, I mean, Cameron Harper played 60 minutes that night and on Twitter you would thought he got murdered he single-handedly lost that the was a character you know, assassination it's just yeah. yeah it's one of those ones fuck me like, in this this scene as well apart from Welts like you just mentioned there are about players being bought for big big money like looking at the likes of Ajari and Barkas and Clamalla and you're going to yourself like you're talking about four to four to six million pound rate of players and they're sitting on the bench. What the fuck's happened there like a season? I I actually spoke about this Lee a, a couple weeks ago with a friend and it's an interesting one because I think Celtic's recruitment is actually really good for the business side of Celtic, which is they're always looking for players that are maybe twenty three and under with a sell on value. You know they're not going to they're not going to buy players like Robbie Keane like they used to. You know that that's yeah. not going to happen. So everything's to do with right. Well, we can sell a lad for ten million pound. You know, get a sell on value from there of twenty percent, and that's brilliant. But this year it just seems as if they abandoned that and and they just yeah. were signing lads and it was like, all right, the Ayeti, that's fine. Shane Duffy, okay. But it was so out with what they've done and been successful with. And I don't know, that's probably down to being so desperate to do the 10, which I get as well. You know what I mean? Like, 
I, I can totally understand that side of it. They tried to do everything they could to get the best possible squad they felt, and it's just, it's just not worked. Uh, they, they threw everything at it. Actually, it's just a question, because you would know having worked there as a coach. See, at like 15, 16, we must have like the best kids in Scotland, or you'd imagine, at 14, 15, 16. So, like, they're all, the kids obviously aren't getting a chance to play in the first team. So, if you look at Stuart Armstrong, for example, we, you know, you'd imagine we had a fella that was as good as him at 15, 16. And you wonder, like, if these guys were getting a chance at the team, could they have become players? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. You would think, you would think guys that, I think what the problem is at Celtic, as I said, is that you, you either sink or swim at Celtic as a character as well. And I think that's a big part of it. I don't think it's enough just to be a good football player at Celtic. Mm. I think you need to be a character that understands what it means. I think you need, like, Tierney was obviously a player that came in and knew exactly what it was, you know, from a big Celtic family, been there since he was eight years old, got a chance. Um, and then you've, you've maybe got some lads just now that it's just really difficult because I think when they do get in around the first team, they maybe freeze up or they find it really hard. Like Welsh, Welsh, I'm so happy to see him doing well because he's a brilliant... Um, I mean, I've, I think he was like under 11s when I started the Celtic, and he was, he was always like a brilliant wee guy. Do you know what I mean? Like he was, he was a brilliant. I was six foot four now. You know what I mean? I'm, he could. <laughs> from the um, like he was from a brilliant family as well, and I'm so happy that, that he got the chance. And I think that, that just with a kind of double treble, then treble, treble, quadruple treble if you like, it almost makes it so much harder to get players to the first team because the fans won these trophies and, and they're not going to accept that Celtic will use the League Cup as mm. something that we'll play a bunch of 17, 18-year-olds, which is what mm. kind of Arsenal do, isn't it? And like the Yeah, they used to always do that. Cup, whatever it is. So, uh, again, it's like at Celtic, I don't think you're allowed to sacrifice any tournament. And it's really hard because then on top of that, you know, the, the you sink or swim with the fans, I think, as well, you know. So Definitely. maybe that maybe it is a psychological thing, Pierce. The, expect, the, ex the expectations were raised through the roof, as you say, but I, I genuinely, just from my point of view, I would have absolutely no problem with that. A lot of people would say that it diminishes the quality of the cup or it, you're being a wee bit disrespectful. But a team like Celtic, if, I, I wouldn't advocate for a the entire team, but I would definitely work a model like half and half. Um, it get, bleeds the young laddies in, gives them a chance. Historically, we've never done great in the League Cup anyway, but it's not a cup that we've particularly thrived in over our history. Um, and giving the young boys a chance, I, I would be more than happy with that. And if they could get us to the latter rounds, I'd let them go as far as they could. Um, me personally, as a Celtic fan, that's the sort of model I'd like to see us develop. I would love a situation where we had a plan, say for the next five, ten years, and the plan was to get at least 50% of your starting a living coming through the academy. Um, I, I think I, I don't think it's unreasonable, and I think a club with sort of Celtic's finances and resources, if you could kind of change the mindset a wee bit, what you touch on is just so true. 
if I, if I was going to the first game of the season on the supporters bus and said like, and they signed a player and we were playing four or five youth players, people would be going absolutely off their nut. They would be saying this is a disgrace of the lack of ambition. Not to say that the boys go, that are going to play are any worse than who we've signed. How could you be worse than Duffy and Barkas and players like this season? Absolute car crashes. Yeah, it's it's, but it's part and parcel as well, Martin. Of just of just being at a big club. Do you know what I mean? Like Celtic fans have expectations, and rightfully so because it's a club that's successful and and has a culture and and their culture is of success and winning and, and, and community, and they're not going to accept anything out with that. You know, so so that's that's not so much a. It's not for the fans to change because Celtic's always been successful and they've always managed to get players into their first team. It's it's just that I think football is changing as a business. And, mm. and I think that along with that, we maybe need to look at ways to... Right, well, we want youth players to be developed, but how, like when are they getting these games? Because you, we want treble trebles, we want quadruple trebles. So... Is it a risk to throw a seventeen-year-old into a semi-final against Parts or a Hibs? Of, of course it is, you know, because, like I said earlier, you've got to cope with that expectation as a seventeen-year-old as well. So I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I don't have the answer for it. I, th- I think there's there's definitely talent at Celtic, and I think you will see players coming through because the staff that they have there and and the talent that they have is. Um, is through the roof, so I think it will happen. It's just, it's, it's maybe wasn't the right time this year to do it, you know. Maybe so we'll see. Yeah, I think the frustrating thing is now, just with the season being like completely done and it has been for a way, like you're still seeing Candy play the same starting the lab. Like, once Lennon leaves, you think to yourself, right, we might see a wee bit of change here and there. We might see formational changes. We might see younger players getting a chance. But just reverting back to that same sort of approach is like a vanity project. We spoke about that before. Like, And it must be frustrating for the young players sitting there going, when do we get our chance? Like, how they're not playing those league games, like even that, that game there at the weekend, put those boys on, give them an opportunity to shine. And because they're not getting that, like obviously... The likes of the reserve leagues and that aren't happening no more. So, surely to God, like as a like you yourself, you've worked with a lot of the the youth coming through it. So, like, like it must be frustrating as a coach not seeing young talent given a chance in these sort of circumstances as well, is it? And coming, that's coming um, from a coach's perspective and a fan's. Aye, it's it's a tough one because I think as well you look at guys like John Kennedy and and Gavin Strachan and lads that are in there. And I think I understand the coaching perspective from them as well, you know, where they're so desperate to do well and it's just no going well for Celtic just now. Mm. But, you know, they guys care deeply about the club and, of course, they don't want to go out and lose games, you know, but I, I totally get why they're maybe looking at players and thinking, right, I'm going to play uh, an El Unice or I'm going to play, you know a Christoph Ayer or whatever the case may be because if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down with what I feel is the most experienced, balanced squad I can put out there, you know? Because with the same token, isn't it? If, if they lose a game 4-1 to Rangers and he plays five 18-year-olds, <laughs> I mean, 
I, I think John Kennedy, I mean, he doesn't need any more abuse than what he's currently getting, you know what I mean? So it's, I, I totally get both sides of that coin. I totally get both sides of it. I'm sure the youth guys will be desperate to see the top youth talents get a game. But I'm sure that they understand as well that the guys that are in those top jobs are working under scrutiny that 99% of us will never experience, you know. But the goalposts have shifted somewhat. Like it's not like a normal season. It was a it was a colossal season historically for what we could have achieved, and we failed catastrophically. But I think the thing that most Celtic fans are annoyed with is the fact that the seasons went in such a dismal fashion. It's not as if there was anything to play for now. Like the season's done. He's a caretaker, a manager. I know he's a Celtic man. I think he'll move on if we get a new manager in, who, whoever that may be. God knows what's going on at the club now with the radio silence, but. I just think there was an opportunity. I think most people would have just thought, well, the, the league's already done. There's nothing to play for. There, there's, I know that every game where you play for Celtic, it means something, but what, I, I didn't really see the difference. Like Most of the players that are playing at the moment have been absolutely diabolical all season. How's Christie still getting a game at Celtic? Like, and by the way, the laptop has got to go <laughs> pronto. <laughs> I, get, I, get, I get what you're saying about the, like the Kennedy situation and stuff, but again, I, I get where you're coming from as well. Like, he's obviously going out there and he's trying to... He, he doesn't want to get a, like a, like more losses than, more, like, than wins. So yeah, it's, uh, but, yeah, you but you're players, playing the same you players that have failed you all year. No, I get that. You look at players, like, I can't fathom how John Joe Kennedy is still getting the game. Like, it's clear to see that he is currently <laughs> buckling. Like, and I don't mean that. I know I've talked about him in the past, like, but you can't look Have at a player yeah. like that and go to yourself. <laughs> you can't look at a player like that and go to yourself. I'm going to start him again at Abrax here. I'm going to just put him back in that same position and forget who's on the bench. They're not getting the shot. I'm going that same approach. So it's just a very difficult situation. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, the, the thing is, Lee, as well, with guys like John Kennedy, John Kennedy's probably looking out for his, his next job as well. Oh, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like John Kennedy doesn't want to go in there and get absolutely smashed, you know, in every game because he's putting in he's putting in youth players. I think that um, I, I think that one of the situations that he's maybe got just now is he's looking at right. If I get the job somewhere else, you know, are they going to look at my time at Celtic and think, well, when he was first team, absolutely leathered, you know, so. It's, it's really tough because those guys, like, like like I say, they're no youth coaches. They're involved in elite elite levels, and I, I mean, you've all, I'm sure you've all seen it in a hundred different cases. Guys that drop out the game and don't get back in for four, five, six years, and mm-hmm. it's it's a really tough living. So I'm sure John Kennedy, in the back of his mind, is looking at that as well, thinking this is probably a wee addition for for, for whatever his next move may be. He's obviously well regarded as well. Like, remember Brendan Rodgers? I was talking to him. He wanted to bring him to Leicester and stuff, and he stuck with with Celtic. So he's obviously he's held in very high esteem from a, like a coaching perspective. Yeah, but everybody I've spoke to, Lee, and I'm not going to like pretend that I've seen John Kennedy coach you know, a million times. And but what I will say is, guys that that I know that that are maybe involved with Celtic or have been involved with Celtic. You know, he's very, very highly regarded as a coach. And and I think that so many people have said that about them. And like I say, Celtic fans will take to you or they won't take to you. You know, and I think with John, it's just like one of those situations where he's just been one of these 
one of these guys that Celtic's probably the only club in the world where guys like Gavin Strachan would even get abuse. I don't even. I mean, who's, who's he's got to go? I, I mean, who's in Gavin Strachan's role? You know what I mean? Like nobody, nobody <laughs> would be able to answer yeah. that. But like people are. Dying. I can't stand him. How did he feel bad for him though? Him and John Joe Kenny I would drive away For the stadium But see See if we were winning though Nobody would say anything About the laptop It's nearly like a victim Of how bad we were were playing Like Rogers had an iPad On the bench For every single game But everything was going fantastic So nobody says anything about it So it's nearly If things are going well It's like just something to jump on Arpius is the <laughs> what, what used to happen What used to happen Like pure 10 years ago is, is you would see Like just a binder Full And it was just like Where you're going to be At set pieces And the only difference is Is that's now on a laptop And people are going <laughs> Mental about it You know what I mean So I, I don't Listen Poor Gavin Poor Gavin <laughs> Sitting there with a fucking Angry Birds World record We're all kind of saying, no. I know I'm envious of him Sitting in the bench watching Salik playing Angry Birds, that'd be a great job. What a gig he got just because his old boy talks on Celtic TV, man. Absolutely tremendous. Fair play to that. And you know, the thing, the thing was as well, Martin, it was like one of those ones where when he came in, like, it's the usual stuff. Like, people were saying, well, he comes with a great reputation, which he did. And I'm, I'm sure Gavin Strachan can coach. I'm sure he can. But at Celtic, <laughs> if it's no going well, you're going to get it, and, and that's it. And Gavin Strachan's probably going home looking at Twitter thinking, I've done nothing but sit on Mars on the bench, and there's two coaches above me, and I'm getting absolute dogs abuse. Go on, love uh, If, Go I, was, on, if I was him, I would not go on Just as a fan, who would you who would you like in as a, in the next manager or coach, depending on what system we go with? Eddie Howe. Would be my number one. I would love Eddie Howe to get it um, because I think that Eddie Howe's probably used to working within a budget. I think that he's obviously a very good coach, and I think that he's quite similar to Brendan Rodgers in terms of he comes with a style of play, and that's going to be the style of play, you know. And he's he, he sticks his guns on it, and I think it's Celtic. You really need that. I, I think, and listen, no disrespect to, to Lennon, who's done unbelievable for Celtic and an unbelievable man and a great guy. But it's it probably took us to November to get a settled starting 11. Within that, we tried yeah. three different formations and that's what I'm saying. Are, are you better just sticking with 11 in one formation and being like, all right, at some point it'll click? You know, but... I get as well that he's pro- he's desperate to do the 10 and, and that probably overshadowed everything. So how for me would be my number one? Jesse Marsh, who who just got... Was, did he get the Leipzig job? Leipzig, yep. Right, Leipzig. Yeah, I always get a mixed up in which is the main one there. Yeah, yeah, I think he went from Salzburg to Leipzig. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and he would have been amazing as well. He would have been amazing if Celtic could have got him. Um, so... I, I think Eddie Howe would, would be the best for, for Celtic, in my opinion. Hopefully hopefully we can get him. What am I great to see Jesse March getting a job just for one of those insights in his half-time team talks? Did you see, did you see that? Uh, the one at Anfield. 
I remember Weston at seven o'clock in the morning going for a walk and turned into a run. Was like, I'm going for a jog. I'm going for a jog and stayed here. Fuck it. I, I've done a couple of things, Lee. Like I've sat on like a couple of his seminars and stuff like that that he's done, and he's he's massive on like kind of culture and culture within the dressing room. And Celtic's obviously coming up to kind of such a transitional point, you know, probably the biggest transition in what since the nineties, really. You would say that they're going to go through. So I, I think in terms of that, um, you really need somebody that's going to come in and and do that you know you really need somebody who's going to come in and kind of implement what they want it to look like in the dressing room on the pitch at training so uh, i think it needs to be somebody like a, a how or a marsh or somebody that comes with a real strong idea of, of what their principles are in my opinion you're over in america how, how did that come about um so when i was at celtic we we used to come in the summer and we used to work in America. That was part of what you had to do. You used to come and do club development. So you would run like sessions and coach education and stuff like that. And I just remember kind of sitting about six years ago, I got a call from a club in Florida that I'd been to four or five years in a row. And they just basically said, look, if we could, if we could get you over, is it something that you would, you would consider doing? And I think at that point I'd, I'd been at Celtic for seven years and had an amazing seven years. And I, when you're around guys like that, you could just learn every single day. But I think part of me as well, I maybe just wanted to to challenge myself, you know. And I, and I think that at Celtic, you're always going to be Tommy Burns' son, which is fine, you know. You, you, He's, he's done so much at the club you're, you're going to be Tommy Burns' son and you're immensely proud of that but I maybe wanted to go somewhere as well and just be judged on what you do good or bad you know and, and just expose yourself to something different because um, you know I, I've got ambitions of my own of, of what I want to do and just now I'm just kind of keeping the head down and and getting through my, my coach education, you know, I'm, I'm doing the, the kind of UEFA licences with the Scottish FA, which has been amazing, an amazing experience, um, albeit I've demolished a couple of laptops um, in the completion <laughs> of that. But, um, Just speak to Gavin, he'll send you one over. <laughs> I, I, so, I'm just, um, I, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm just keeping the head down now and, and, and trying to graft away in the background and hopefully, you know, just continue the coach education and then if, if somebody at some point, you know, um, gives me another challenge but it gets me out of my kind of comfort zone, then I would I would love to do that, you know. You weren't outside a certain uh, hotel in Glasgow about six or seven weeks ago. Was it actually you who was approached to be the next Celtic manager? And remember, there was all these stories going about Eddie Howe was in a, a hotel in Glasgow. He's in a, a pizza no, shop no, I, in the I city centre. Listen, I don't even think Celtic would let me make the tea for the guy that makes the coffee. So um, I, I don't think there's any danger of that at all. Um, I, I'm sure they've got much, much better guys than me in there. So uh, I don't know about um, that. 
But who knows? Listen, who knows? Who knows? Listen, I would be absolutely immense to see yourself going back to the club and have some some form of contribution. I think it would be absolutely exceptional. But see, on a on a serious note, like with with coaching and stuff, like where like how high are you set in the bar for yourself? Like where where is the peak? You want to stay in America? Um, you want to come back to Scotland or? And you know, Liam, I'm not actually first in terms of where it is. I, I would go to the moon if that's where the job was. But I think that, like any coach anywhere, I want to work with the most elite level. Um, the, the first team, who knows? I mean, um, maybe maybe one day it would be amazing to be around the first team environment. You know, a really high-level youth environment, amazing. But I just, ideally, I just want to be somewhere and surrounded by coaches and players that, that kind of make you better because I think that if you're working at elite level almost every day is like the assessment of a coaching licence you know what I mean you want to put on the best for the players and you want to kind of show what you can do as a coach and and you want to learn from other guys around you and, and that's it just the only way for me to kind of get better is just keep working with people that are better around me and um and that's the idea. So I'm, I'm not in any rush. For me, just if one day I could get home, amazing, you know. But um, Florida's not the worst place in the world either. So <laughs> I, I could I could settle here um, if need be. But I I don't know, mate. I don't know. Listen, just I would go anywhere if I felt it was the. I would go anywhere if I feel it was the right opportunity, you know. Partick, this will have just come up. You get yourself back over. Straight in the bush. We're begging you to go. Yeah, in there. Uh, just move him out of the way. Just move him. <laughs> Aye, well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that Roy Keane gets another job and then uh, if he's looking for an assistant, maybe get yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be some crack, will not it? That must be some oh, crack being Roy Keane's assistant. That's lying all there, eh? Oh, unbelievable. See, um... See, just before we finish, thanks so much for your time. Honestly, it's absolutely been a pleasure right. talking to you. And I think you highlighted something there that was really integral. Uh, obviously, people that are listening, you're synonymous um, because of your father, but you and your own right are your own man. Um, and absolute more credit to you and best of luck with your coaching career. Hope it takes you to the very top. Um, just before we finish, we always do a wee sort of tidbit in the three years I'll ask you a wee question. Um, my first one would be just as a football fan. What was the best game you've ever watched? What game? What's the best game that stands out that you enjoyed the most? That that I've been at. Yeah. Oof. Um. I think for me, Man United. Man United at home. Man United at home. Nakamura one with the free kick. Just unreal. Just because it was just it was everything you know the penalty save from Boric and then Bobo Baldi I think nearly killed Louis Saka in the first half and just everything about it was just like one of those games where you're like oh god just it's such a typical Celtic in the Champions League performance, you know what I mean, where you could beat anybody. So for ones that I've been at, that would be the best game that, that I feel I've been at. See, um my favourite memory of your father, um, because it was sort of getting older and older, was the, the penalty shootout win against Bardic Moscow. And I always remember the scene in the picture where your your dad jumps on the, the pen on and celebrations when I go through the Champions League. 
Do you ever look at moments like that? Like you spoke before at the start of the show and you talked about like going through YouTube clips and just remembering your dad and stuff. Do you look at that and go, I mean, you must be immensely proud of just things like that and just images like that. Like to look at that, if I was my father, I'd just go, yeah, that's my, that's my dad. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, the football side of it, obviously, um, so many memories, good memories, you know, where you see him and massive cheese are on his face and the went and won at the Spartak Moscow pictures, an amazing one. Um, but, but probably, Lee, the things that I would look at more is just the stuff that he done. Like, we've got some pictures where he used to dress up as Santa every year and go to Ross Hall and, and do the Santa down the board. He used to do the soup kitchen in George Square. And, um, and, and I think stuff like that you look at you know, maybe away from football. Because in football, there's there's ups and downs. And, and you know, he was so lucky in his career to have more ups and downs, certainly. But I think probably more the human qualities um, is stuff that I would look back at and say, God, amazing, you know, amazing. Because it's, it's maybe stuff that you wouldn't see as much now, you know. So probably stuff like that for me. Incredible. And then uh, my question is: So, hypothetically, you're made the Celtic manager. Who was the first player you signed, like within budget? Oh, fuck. Who's Austria. the first player I would sign? Good question, Pierce. That, that is a good question, Pierce. We should ask ourselves after. Um, I can't think of it. That's why. <laughs> I would say, I would say that if I was to buy somebody just now that I would look at and say I would, I'd bring them on and it would be within budget, it probably wouldn't be a ton of money. I think the lad Ryan Portis at Hibs, the centre back, centre half, um, great choice. Probably Portal. one that I would, I would bring on. Um, and he always seems to wind up Rangers a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. He so loves it. Fantastic. I'd have said Jordan Larson myself. Like, I'll be honest, I haven't, I've seen a few clips of him on, on Twitter and stuff and on YouTube. He's, but he's good at Spartak. Get him back. Get he's never actually that tax free money. You know, he's done so well, Lee, that I just don't yeah. know if that would be in budget. That's the mental. No player. danger. Like, yeah. I, I ah. think that he would cost a lot of money. Yeah. They're talking about eighteen to twenty million now. He that boat sailed a few years ago. If set like what anyway, the cash money money money. Well. tax free. Yeah, the big money was at Sweden, but you would have only been signing him because he was Larson's boy. But fair play, he's another one. Fair play, to him. he's went and done it himself. But imagine that. Imagine being a professional football player and a striker, and your dad's Henrik Larson. That's oh. a nightmare. Atrocious. Atrocious, but uh, I mean, <laughs> he's done. He's done amazing there, and uh, I just think that it would be. I probably need to take the scales at my ass saying Ryan Portis, but you caught me off guard, Piercy. As a defender, I think Doig's a good wee player, the lad at Hibs, the left back. He's a player. There's, a, there's definitely a player in that. I, know, lad. I set you up for that, Martin, because I said the Hibs player, now you're thinking of the Hibs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, listen, thanks so much again, mate. Honest, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm very jealous of the weather you've got over there because it looks absolutely unbelievable. Minging here. <laughs> but um, 
thanks so much again and all the best for your UFA licence, mate. Thanks so much. Cheers, lads. Thanks very much. Have a good Thank one. You, Cheers, buddy. Sound. Thanks, John.